Hello and welcome to Fertility Springboard, the podcast series brought to you by Fertility Help Hub. I'm Eloise, founder of Fertility Help Hub, and over the series I will be bringing you conversations with some of the most influential and inspiring professionals and experts around the world to arm you with useful and empowering thoughts and resources to ease your fertility journey. And don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to make sure you don't miss out on anything. It's packed full of inspiring interviews, resources, discounts and offers, competitions and real life stories. Good morning and today's guest is the wonderful fertility consultant from the Women's Wellness Centre, Ms. Despina Mavridou. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Eloise. It's lovely to be speaking to you today. We've got a lot to cover. Um, So if you could please uh, give yourself um, an introduction and explain to people what you do and um, I guess your specialities and expertise, that would be wonderful. Uh, I am a fertility specialist at the Women's Wellness Centre and I also practice in the NHS as a consultant fertility lead. Uh, I deal with uh, fertility issues from a surgical point of view, but also in terms of IVF and um, fertility problems uh, in general. Great. Um, The first topic that we're going to cover today um, are fibroids and fertility. So could you explain to us a little bit more about what fibroids are um, and and what the causes of them are? Fibroids are like fibrous tissue, which is a muscle fibrous tissue, which is quite dense. And it can be found uh, anywhere around the uterus, in the uterus, inside the uterus. And uh, it can be of three types, depending on their position in the uterus. And the causes of the fibroids, nobody knows exactly what causes the fibroids, but it does run in um, families and it does run in um, certain ethnicities. For example, the um, Black African uh, women are more prone to have fibroids. Okay. So would you advise people that if they know of this um, being something that maybe um, their mother has um, suffered from, to get it checked out sooner rather than later? Yes. With the fibroids, I think it's always good to um, have an ultrasound scan. Imaging is a good way of assessing whether you have uh, you can have fibroids and also the position of the fibroids is quite crucial in terms of fertility so yes it's important to 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 check that and i think one one big thing that people are concerned about is um they hear the word fibroids and they think they might be cancerous um what why do people think that is that ever the case well, uh, fibroids feel like lumps, the kind of lumps in the, on the uterus. So they are kind of, um, I think that, but they are not cancerous. They're benign, as we call it, benign uh, tumors. Um, they can turn cancerous, but they have a very, very low chance of that happening. Um, and that usually is if suddenly the fibroid is causing a lot of pain, um, then you would need to seek help. So if you 
if you are known to have fibers, you've been diagnosed having them, um, then it's always good to have a check yearly for the fibroid um, the increase in size sometimes. And if suddenly they cause pain, then you need to seek um, help. But in general, fibroids are not cancerous. Okay, that's good to know. Um, and what kind of symptoms would people experience to get this investigated um, for fibroids? What are the symptoms? So depending on the position of the fibroid, like I said, uh, where they are around the uterus. So if you have a fibroid that is sticking out from the top of the uterus, then usually those ones, they cause mechanical symptoms. For example, if it's sticking out towards the bladder, then it's causing increased frequency. So you go and uh, urinate more often. Um, if it's at the back of the uterus, it presses on the bowels or the intestines. So then you might have, you might suffer from constipation or urgency on the back passage. Um, uh, if the fibroids, the second type is if it's within the muscle of the womb, so the, 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 the lump is in the muscle, then typically causes um, heavy periods. So heavy regular but a very heavy period to the point that you can cause anemia, low iron. Um, and the third type is the fibroids that sticks out in the cavity of the uterus, that's in the womb inside where the usually the embryo is implanted. Those ones can also cause heavy periods, but also it can cause um, infertility and uh, miscarriages. Okay, and so are, are some of these symptoms similar to symptoms that people get with PCOS? Not typically. Uh, women with PCOS don't tend to have heavy periods. Um, they, get, they tend to have infrequent periods. Mm -hmm. in PCOS. And if you have infrequent periods, then sometimes you might get the one-off heavy. But typically women with fibroids, is they have regular periods, so 28-day cycles, but they're really heavy, they pass clots, they need extra padding during the night. Um, often you say I, they've been leaking kind of, you know, during the day, they needed um, to change their trousers and so forth. So would that be more similar to um, endometriosis then? Um, endometriosis, again, is slightly different. Endometriosis, typically they have painful periods, really, really painful without having a lump feeling on the uterus or known. Um, but yes, women with endometriosis can have heavy periods, yes. And what's the best treatment, going back to fibroids, what's the best treatment for fibroids in the uterus? Can, how can you shrink them or get rid of them? And is that for good? Um, if the fibroids don't bother you, uh, don't bother the woman, I would say they don't need to be removed unless it's the fibroid that is found in the cavity of the uterus, which can cause infertility and miscarriages. Those are the ones that electively we would need to remove, even if they don't cause any problems. They probably would cause problems by heavy periods, but if the heavy period, for example, is not bothering um, the woman, uh, uh, then those fibroids, the submucous fibroids that are sticking out of the cavity of the womb need to be removed because that's where the embryo will implant and might be causing issues. So those are the ones that I would suggest they can be removed. Now, the other fibroids, 
either sticking on the outside of the womb or in the muscle, as long as they don't interrupt the endometrial lining and the shape of the inside of the womb, um, they don't need to be removed. Now, if the woman is having debilitating um, uh, anemia um, and in clots and her life is completely disturbed, of course, we need to deal with that um, and you need to remove them. Or if they can't really pass any urine or the ureter is blocked or the intestines are really kind of bothering, then you would remove them. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and I guess one of the biggest questions, of course, what is the impact of, of fibroids on fertility? Like I said, the fibroids that are sticking out inside the cavity uh, can cause uh, infertility and miscarriages. So uh, then that uh, they need to be dealt with. Um, so those are the ones that we really need to kind of uh, check and uh, see to remove them. And of course, they need to be removed with great care because they might cause, it might cause scarring on the inside of the cavity. So they need to be removed with great care. Of course. Um, and, and, and I guess what, what's the difference between um, if someone's trying to conceive naturally with fibroids and someone who's um, pursuing IVF? Uh, if someone is trying uh, naturally to conceive and if the cavity inside of the womb is normal shape and there isn't any fibroids sticking in the cavity um, or maybe the fibroids in the muscle uh, or somewhere else, I would say try. I would encourage you to try naturally for six months. And if it's not successful, then um, you need to see how big the fibroids. Of course, this all depends on, on, the, on the size. If, for example, we have a 10-centimeter fibroid inside the muscle of the wound, of course, this will, will affect the lining, because usually the lining of the womb where the embryo implants is very, very crucial. And if you have such a big fibroid occupying such a big space in the womb, then of course we need to remove that. In terms of IVF, absolutely the fibroids need to be removed when they're sticking out in the cavity. There's no question about that. Um, the question is the fibroids that don't affect the cavity, for example, they're in the muscle of the womb and they are of decent size, do we risk to uh, cause a scarring in the lining or do we just leave it and try IVF? Uh, and this, of course, it depends on the size of the fibroid. If you have a two centimeter fibroid versus a seven centimeter fibroid and you need to have a, a, a big detailed debate with the patient and you look at the fibroid and see how will that improve? It's it, 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 it's a very difficult consultation to have. So you need to kind of personalize it depending on, on, on this. Great. Thank you so much for that um, advice. Um, and it's, yeah, you've made it a lot clearer. And also there is a diagram attached to uh, this podcast, which um, people can see so that they can visualize um, what the fibroids might look like as well. The next thing we're going to talk about today is endometriosis. Now, Dr. Spina Mavridou, what is endometriosis? Endometriosis is basically the lining 
of the endometrium, which is in the cavity of the uterus, um, is found outside in the abdomen. Um, this can be found on the ovaries, on the tubes, on the ligaments around, on the bowel, on the bladder, on the ureter, outside the, the uterus. And um, this is uh, a chronic disease, chronic progressive disease, uh, because these little glands outside, uh, they flare up every time we have periods and they grow. And how would someone know if they had endometriosis? What would be the, the most common symptoms? So the common symptom is painful periods and painful sexual intercourse um, and occasionally painful when we open the bowels. So at the time, so these are the three typical symptoms of endometriosis, um, but the most common is painful periods. Okay. And could you explain a bit more about the different stages of endometriosis as well, please? So different stages in very simple terms, uh, we separate it in mild, moderate and severe endometriosis. So for someone that hasn't been treating endometriosis for years and it has flare-ups and the disease is getting progressively worse through the years, then you end up having severe. And that means that these little glands um, and the tissue that is found outside, they flare every time. So they grow and they cause scarring inside the abdomen. So this scarring might be between the tubes and the ovaries or between the ovaries, the tubes and the side wall of the abdomen or the bowel. So it makes the tummy and the abdomen inside immobile, so less favorable for fertility, for spontaneous conception. The second is moderate, which basically is at a less extent of the scarring. And the mild is a few spots that do not, that do not affect the mobility of the tubes. And um, the disease is kind of uh, quite mild in terms of a few spots here. So you don't really have any effect on the anatomy. It doesn't change the anatomy. Um, but of course, you do have the disease. So these are the, are the different stages. Am I right in thinking that it's actually a very common problem? What, what are the statistics in terms of how many people suffer from it? So in the general population, 15% of women have endometriosis. In the fertility, in couples with um, uh, infertility, it can be up to 50%. Gosh, it's high, isn't it? It's quite high. It's really high. And this is one of the things with endometriosis. It, it can take um, uh, up to seven to eight years to be diagnosed. So this is, this is a evidence-based um, because it's a very subjective way of assessing it clinically by pain. Um, then it can take up to seven to eight years to diagnose endometriosis in a woman. Usually is picked up in women that are infertile by uh, investigating further. Um, and that's why it's, it's, it's such a high percentage in, um, in subfertility patients. I see. And there's another term, isn't there? Um, is, is, am I right in saying that it's called um, endometriomas? Right. So endometriomas 
are the cysts that are found on the ovary. So endometriomas are basically the little glands that we mentioned, the lining tissue that uh, is found outside the uterus, but is found on the ovary. So when that tissue that is supposed to be in the line, endometrial lining is on the ovary, it produces little kind of like a little period in the ovary, and then it causes a cyst that is filled with, it's like period blood um, in, in the ovary, and that is called endometrioma. Endometrioma can be seen on an ultrasound scan, and when you see that, then you can diagnose comfortably uh, as someone having endometriosis by imaging, but usually you cannot diagnose endometriosis by imaging. It's only when you find these endometriomas that you can say that someone has endometriosis. I see, I see. So is there a way to cure it? There's no certain cure as such because this is a, a, a chronic disease, but you can suppress it so that you don't have the symptoms. Right, I see, okay. So the, the way to suppress it is by not having periods because with periods you have the flare. So usually the standard treatment, the first line standard treatment is birth control pills. Um, and usually these are advised to be taken continuously for a few months. So you don't have periods. So less periods, less progression of the disease. And what about um, treatment for it? Um, maybe if we start with the surgical or non-surgical options and also the success with that. Yeah, so um, like I said earlier, there's no imaging to diagnose endometriosis. You can suspect if you have endometriomas, you can suspect by imaging um, if you have the extensive severe disease that causes scarring, uh, but ultimately it is the surgical way to diagnose. You can make a presumptive clinical diagnosis by history to say, but the absolute way to know is by doing a keyhole laparoscopy to have a look and see the endometriosis. And at that time, you can uh, treat it by burning by laser or burning the spot of endometriosis if it's a mild one. If it's an extensive, severe disease, then you need um, an advanced endometriotic surgeon to operate on the bowel and all the scar tissue. But again, you don't really cure the disease. You make it better. You improve the symptoms. And by suppressing the periods, then you improve the symptoms. So I guess, unfortunately, that means that it can come back. Is that correct? Yes. And that's why we encourage um, younger women, if they have a family history of endometriosis, or if there's an early, if they're lucky enough and they're diagnosed early, with endometriosis and infertility is not an issue. The best way is to have a birth control to suppress the disease as long as possible um, so that when you do uh, have, uh, when the time comes for fertility, at least the disease is suppressed and not has not progressed to the severe form. And also another way, if you are lucky enough to be diagnosed early or if you have it in the family history, is good to, if possible, to have your family early before the disease progresses. And this is a slightly off the topic of fertility, but for women who are going through menopause, does, um, do, do things improve once they've been through menopause? 
Exactly. So endometriosis is a disease of the reproductive age, and unfortunately, and uh, usually in the 20s, 30s, uh, by the time you reach 40s, late 40s, um, it's getting better. And in 50, when you're 50, closer to menopause, then if you don't have the periods, then you don't have really the symptoms calming down. In a way, when the menopause is arriving, then, then you're kind of at the end of it, really. And um, for people who are taking a, holistic, a more holistic approach, um, so they might be looking at surgical options, but maybe things that they can do naturally as well to help with endometriosis, um, if they're kind of in the fertility reproductive age, um, the fertile age, what would be some of the natural remedies for endometriosis that you would, uh, that you perhaps feel might make a difference? Well, the, uh, the one that is quite striking on the evidence based is exercise. Exercise shown that reduces the menstrual flow and um, by reducing the menstrual flow, uh, it improves the the pain. Um, anything that increases endorphins uh, reduces the pain, and that's uh, uh, whether this would be in yoga or meditation or um, any form of uh, increasing the endorphins, the natural endorphins in our bodies has been shown to improve uh, the pain and the symptoms. And what about from a diet perspective? Are you an advocate of diet helping with this too? Yes. Uh, we know also, uh, we know some chemicals, the BPA, uh, that can contain some um, chemical estrogens uh, can uh, worsen the endometriosis and anything um, additives in our, uh, whether that would be uh, makeup or plastics that we use, um, can increase the um, the uh, chemical estrogen and can worsen the pain. Now, um, yeah, something, um, like I said, something that uh, we haven't mentioned earlier is endometriosis flares up with periods. And the reason for that is the estrogen um, that is uh, feeding the endometriosis, our natural estrogens of our body makes it worse. So obviously any, any exogenic estrogens can worsen the endometriosis maybe not a very severe form and we don't know but we know that um, some chemicals do have estrogens in them do you feel that there are some favorable foods as well that can help um, alongside the ones which perhaps people should avoid well I'm not aware of many. I am aware of the soya that has been quite a discussion because soya, as we all know, has estrogen, uh, phytoestrogens in it. Um, But that also we know that soya has some anti-estrogenic effects. So I can't say that that will make it worse or make it better. Um, In general, healthy eating um, and of course, I would also say Mediterranean diet is really uh, part of lifestyle and it's part of exercise that it can. I mean, if we know that evidence shows that uh, exercise does really reduce the flow, um, I think it's all part of the lifestyle. Anything, 
healthy lifestyle, of course, it improves uh, your your general well-being. Um, and we know that some uh, environmental chemicals um, make it worse. So, and I'm sure we, there are so many other chemicals that we're not aware that can make it worse. We don't know. We just don't know. But I'm sure there is some effect. We've talked about this before, haven't we? But it's not like you... Um just should look after your healthy eating and your diet and your lifestyle for those weeks that you're or months or years you're trying to conceive it's it should be a long-term lifestyle change shouldn't it um to i guess benefit long term um and it's not an overnight fix is it these things um take time and it's being consistent i guess Yes, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle choice, and um, I think it's always a great irrelevant to fertility, relevant to endometriosis. I'm a big advocate of um, exercise and healthy eating, and I think that's first of all, exercise produces natural endorphins and is a natural antidepressant. Of course. Uh, a lot of women uh, will be needing um, some help with the depression, etc. But if we have a head start with natural endorphins, then it's a good start uh, to, to have. And um, can endometriosis cause weight gain? Endometriosis um, can cause weight gain indirectly. Um, for example, if you have very painful periods that you can't go out, if you have painful periods that stop you from going to work and you're in bed for a few days and then it takes you a few more days to recover, um, then of course you can't exercise and you can't really and then stay home and you don't, you're not in the mood of uh, cooking or healthy uh, orientated, then of course that can have an effect. But there's no uh, strict evidence to say you have endometriosis, hence you're more bound to be overweight. It's Mm -hmm. not like PCOS. Okay. Okay. I understand. I guess that's a bit like how everyone's probably feeling having been in lockdown, isn't it? That sort of feeling that um, you haven't had the exercise that you would normally want. And yeah, not, not being as motivated to eat well because it's been a very strange time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And what about homeopathy remedies for endometriosis? Do you know anything about that? And do you feel that they can be beneficial to support the um, traditional medicine? There's no concrete evidence that's direct, but like I said, anything that um, uh, it increases the, the, the personal well-being improves the symptoms of endometriosis. I think that's, that's the most important um, point, I would say, in this. Um, but is there a direct relation? I'm not aware of, of, of that. But I know that women that have done, went through that route have had improved symptoms. Would things like acupuncture help with blood flow and that kind of thing? There's no direct relation uh, acupuncture to the flow um, because the flow of uh, the endometriosis, if you think of the, 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 the mechanics of it is um, the flow of the period go, goes back through the tubes and then is found in the abdomen. 
that is not really affected by acupuncture, but um, I think it's coping the pain. So it, yeah. it's, it's nerve endings that will help you with the pain and pain is very subjective. So yes, I think that would work. That would work, but there's no direct relation to it. Yes, of course. Of course, that makes sense. And I guess it can't harm anything, can it, to do something like acupuncture to support that if it makes someone feel less stressed and perhaps help, helps them with their mental well-being and or the pain relief. Exactly, exactly. So um, what about, because you mentioned that it can be painful um, to have sex when you have endometriosis. Um, what, what do people do about that? I have to say, um, this is a very difficult issue because women um, sometimes are not uh, very easy to talk about this. Mm. Uh, you need to specifically ask them, and most of the times, if you don't ask them, they might not even say this. Um, and this is something that can affect uh, fertility indirectly, and um, it can be a very, very embarrassing subject to talk about. Um, the usually what we say is by treating endometriosis, and usually is at the certain spots in the abdomen that you find endometriosis that can cause painful sexual intercourse. So sexual intercourse usually is the deep pain, um, a deep penetrative pain that they feel because it's in the ligaments that are holding the, the, the top bit of the cervix. And uh, by um, lasering the uh, endometriosis at the time of surgery and right after suppressing the periods long term is the best way to improve the symptoms. The pain is not superficial, if you know what I mean. So uh, using lubrication, etc., might not help because it's more deep pain. What does it, is it like an ache pain? It's more like um, it's on kind of a deep, higher up pain um, during sexual intercourse. So it's not in the beginning of it, it's um, after, during the act of it, um, higher up in the cervix. Um, some women have pain, and because you have pain, um, then your lubrication goes away. So the lubrication at the entry um, it occurs by arousal, but if you're not aroused because you have so much pain, then you can't get dry in the area. But the initial point is the deep pain. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, and then the third thing that we're going to cover today is unexplained infertility. Now, we talked a bit about this on the live, which people can watch back um, on the Fertility Help Hub website. But I guess, and, and you've probably seen this so many times in patients, it must be a really really heartbreaking diagnosis to have because it must feel as though well what's next why um, and what can we do about it if we don't have something to solve yes uh, unexplained subfertility is one of those very frustrating um times in infertility where the couple really wants some answers and you can't really give them answers um, and sometimes it's just easier to know why this has happened, uh, because if you know the reason, then probably you know how to fix it. Um, and yeah, it, it can be quite uh, frustrating. It's usually 15 to 20% of couples in infertility suffer from unexplained subfertility. 
And what, what causes this and what would the test be carried out to kind of um, make that diagnosis? So unexplained is basically after you do the basic fertility investigations. Um, so all the blood tests or the ultrasound scan, the sperm analysis. So it seems like there's no problem with the ovulation. There's no reserve, ovarian reserve problem. There's no uterine problems, no sperm problems. So these are the basic um, investigations. Along the way, when there is a more... Um, invasive way of um, treating the fertility, for example, uh, IVF, sometimes, sometimes you do find the reason along the way. So maybe it's the fertilization, the problem, or the implantation, the problem. So in IVF, uh, because you fragment and you know all the steps of the way, sometimes you know, you can find out why there was unexplained in the first place. I see. Is, does that happen in a lot of cases that you end up seeing, you end up working out what the reason was or does sometimes it just, just works and there's no reason as to why it hadn't happened naturally? Well, first of all, um, a good history is quite important because if from the history you, you might suspect um, endometriosis, for example, um, then, um, then you can do something about it. You can do a laparoscopy. It doesn't always work, laparoscopy, to treat, and it doesn't mean they will fall pregnant, but you increase their chances of spontaneous conception by even treating the mild, moderate disease and uh, giving them a few months' time to, um, for a spontaneous conception. So that's the one thing. Um, that, so it has been shown that 15 to 40% of unexplained couples can have endometriosis when you investigate further. Now, despite having endometriosis and uh, trying to treat it, if that's unsuccessful, then, then you do uh, go further to see um, your, your treatment options. Okay. And um, so what, yeah, that's the next question. What would the treatment options be? Um, and what would the general success rates look like? Traditionally, after kind of investigating the unexplained, if there's no cause for it, then traditionally it would have been IVF straight away. Uh, recently, in the last few years, it's been the um, IUI, the intrauterine insemination plus superovulation that actually can give you good results. And that uh, results as per cycle, per period, per month. Um, so that's another less invasive way. So these are the two major treatment options um, that you can offer in unexplained uh, infertility. The success rate uh, for IVF in unexplained, um, and we have to separate the age-wise, so if it's less than 35 years, as always, as the, uh, if you're less than 35 years old, you can be successful up to 40, 45, 48% success rate in IVF. If you're over 35 years old with unexplained subfertility in IVF, it can be 20 to 30%. Depending on the reserve, uh, yeah, the ovarian reserve and the exact age. Okay. And the sperm as well? Sperm. Um, assuming the sperm is normal. 
Yeah, of course, of course. And so this is really the last thing I want to ask you about this. For people who may have an unexplained um, infertility diagnosis or subfertility diagnosis, and they've been through multiple or a couple of rounds um, of IVF or IUI that haven't worked, how long would you, would you suggest that someone continues that kind of treatment with their own eggs or sperm before perhaps looking at donor options? Before you move on for that, um, you need to kind of look at, um, you need to fragment the um, IVF results and see what went wrong if you try and explain. So you do it in stepwise way. So for example, if um, you look at the M- the eggs, first of all, you retrieve the eggs and you see the quality. Um, is the quality of the egg good? Uh, is it the egg that is the issue, the quality of it? Um, so if the eggs don't look that great, then you know maybe that's why. And uh, if, for example, you get the fertilization, if the fertilization rate is low, then you'd be thinking, okay, is it the sperm? ICSI, even with ICSI, is that good enough? Is the fertilization rate high with ICSI? Is it the sperm the issue that is causing the issue? And then you get the embryos. The embryos, you look at the embryos every day. You get a day two to three. Uh, usually, ideally, we want the blastocyst stage to to have in order to have an increased live uh, birth rate. But sometimes, even day two to three might give you a live birth rate is lower, but it's still. So you need to look at the different combinations, how the embryos look at every way. Um, and there are ways the technology is advanced uh, these days to actually give us the benefit to conclude and see what's going on. We have the embryoscope that gives you pictures of the embryos every 15 minutes to actually say at which stage it went wrong and then you can try and figure out. And then you look at the next day, the implantation. Is it the implantation the issue? Do you have a recurrent implantation failure? Um, you have a chemical pregnancy, so you, the, the, the embryo implants for a little bit and then um, very early on, somehow there is some immunological factor, then you'd be thinking, okay, we need to check the clotting factor um, uh, and and all this. So if all beyond this, then um, there's an indication that um, of a clear indication of what's the reason that you try and fix it. Of course, also there is a receptive lining check that um, you can do tests on the, it's like a biopsy on the endometrial lining to check and see how receptive is to the embryo and the timing, because there's some implantation factors that um, should be produced at the time of the embryo being implanted. And sometimes you might not get that. So is it because of the timing? So you need to wait, you need to give extra medications for that. So it's a lot of, a lot of reasons before you go in and say, okay, donor. But yes, of course, if the eggs are very, very, very low in number and very, very low in quality, then you'd be thinking, yeah, instead of keep on trying on something that really uh, the chances are extremely low, then of course the chances would be to go for an egg donor or a sperm donor. Uh, Of course, you need to check the receptivity of the lining because if you have problems with the endometrial lining, then the the embryo donor wouldn't be any, it wouldn't be working either. 
That makes sense. So um, to summarize, what would be your takeaway? What would be your um, suggestion to people listening who may be suffering from one, two or three of the things that we've discussed today? Um, What would your advice be? My advice would be if you do have a family history of fibroids or endometriosis, to seek help early, to be more proactive. Um, And uh, the care is personalized and individualized uh, in general. We are uh, saying a few suggestions, but of course, every couple and every situation is different. Um, But I think being proactive it can never hurt anybody. A general checkup with a scan can reveal um, a few things uh, that can be preventable or to um, slow down the, the, the disease or um, to, to, to be more proactive with it. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And then just to end, um, for anyone who would like a one-on-one consultation and scan with uh, Ms. Despina Mavridou at the Women's Wellness Centre in Chelsea, London, then they are kindly offering um, an exclusive discount to our Fertility Help Hub readers and listeners for £50 off. Um, So all you need to do to take advantage is to message us at Fertility Help Hub, um, the email address is hello at fertilityhelphub.com or you can come through the Fertility Help Hub website and we will introduce you and you can benefit from this discount. So thank you so much for your time today. Very, very insightful and um, no doubt invaluable advice for our listeners. Thank you, Louise, for having me. Thank you.